This conversation with the development economist Nadim Ulhaq is number 14 in an audio series we're calling Another Pakistan, recorded in midsummer 2011. It's a co-production of the Watson Institute at Brown University and the Asia Society. I'm Christopher Leighton in Lahore with Nadim Al-Haq. He's an economist and a global civil servant back home in Pakistan. We had a chance encounter that came quickly to a stiff warning to us Americans. He said, get engaged in the education of the rising generation here or don't sleep at night. And that was the gentle version. This is open source from the Watson Institute at Brown University, an American conversation with global attitude, we call it, in listening mode in Pakistan this summer of 2011. There we were, Nadim, at a farewell party in honor of a major USAID official. You introduced yourself as managing Pakistan's new growth plan. I said to you, I can feel it growing under my feet. And you said, who are you kidding? This isn't happening. And then you, then you gave it to me with the bark on. I want you to give it to all of us with the bark on. Chris, it's very simple. This is a young country. We've got 90 million kids under the age of 20. 90? 90, 90. And maybe it's a little more, a little less. We haven't done the latest census, but that's about the ballpark figure. There are about 120 million youth under the age of 30. These people have hardly got any education at all. The education that they have is low quality. Many of them are illiterate. More importantly, they have no opportunity in the country because the economy is growing at roughly 2.5% per annum. And that means almost that per capita incomes are not growing. When That's per capita incomes don't grow, unemployment increases. We estimate that employment for these kids to be fully employed, we need an economic growth rate of 8% per annum. We ain't getting it. The line that snapped my head back the other night when I met you was, this is the country that could kill the world. And America, wake up. You have no idea what you're doing, and you're not doing anything constructive. You looked at me and you said, you guys send Raymond Davis and Blackstone. Are you out of your minds? No, my point is very simple. Give us the libraries. Give us the community space. Socialize these kids. Right now, these kids have nowhere to go. They have no information that they can get. They are distant from globalization. Give them a choice. Give them something better than what they can hear here. Here they have only one community center, one mentor. That's the mosque and the Malvi. There's no alternative. How much would it cost for you to give them C-SPAN and NPR? I bet it's trivial. Peanuts. <laughs> Nadim al compare Pakistan today with the Pakistan of your growing up. Uh, look, when I was growing up, this was a country that was newly independent. We still had the inheritance that the British left us. Now, whatever you might say about the colonial rulers, yes, there was cruelty, etc., etc. I'm not denying that. But the good thing was that they did force some kind of a modernization on us. They gave us the railway. They gave us communication. They gave us an English schooling system. They gave us libraries and community centers that were enough for the time. When I was growing up, there were two libraries here, the British Council Library and the USIS Library. There was the Punjab Public Library. When there were budget cuts, 
both the British Council Library and the USAIS Library were withdrawn. And I can tell you that is a big mistake on part of both your countries. It was just a small amount of money, but it was a lifeline to people like me. Mm. To kids like me, we accessed all the books. I used to go in the heat of the afternoon on a cycle to pick up books from those libraries. Our library card we used to handle with great pride. You took that away. And that is something that I think you should be thinking about. We had more cinemas then than we do now. We had the occasional theater groups that used to visit us from England and the U.S., etc. And we used to, you know, even in the day before the Internet, we had much more sort of in terms of culture happening. Mm. Over the years, what has happened is because of two or three things. Because of uh, the way we were developing, the developments, my discipline is at fault there because we thought economic development was giving us industry and all those things and we forgot about the community. So we lessened uh, the emphasis on community development, on um, culture development, that became an unintended consequence of our development policy. But at the same time, the way the society was configured, the colonial master had configured the society for his own self. Because there were expatriates coming here, they wanted an expatriate lifestyle. They had these rich elite clubs, they had very nice palatial houses. The guys who inherited it overtook that setup. So now every city has city centers occupied by the bureaucratic elite or the rich elite or whatever. And they occupy the entertainment space for themselves, which is large golf courses, large polo grounds, etc. Count the polo grounds. Count the polo grounds, count the golf courses, count the tennis courts, count the community centers, count the libraries, and explain the difference. It's very simple. Lahore, my hometown, which is the second largest city in the country, it has 10 million people. We have five polo grounds in the heart of town. Best location. Five polo grounds. Each polo ground is 10 acres. We have five golf courses. And there's an implicit subsidy on each of these activities because the land is given virtually, you know, um, at, at cheap rates, as well as there is no tax on these. We have five polo grounds, five golf courses. We have not added to the stock of libraries. There's an old library that the British left us, that's it. New library, that's kind of nowhere. We have no public libraries almost anywhere. Two, no community centers. If you go in this, in this town, I think you would be very hard, find it very hard to prove me wrong. There is, there is not even a publicly provided basketball court, hmm. which probably takes less space in this room, as you know. My point is very simple. As Hillary said, it takes a village. Where is the community for the youth here? But I remind you, the youth does have community. In one place which is proliferating all over the place, the mosque, it does have one mentor. Mm. Guys like me are not allowed to be the mentors. But that guy is. This is again an unintended consequence of our policies. But where does the American aid go? Nobody seems to know. Nobody seems to know. That's a fact. And I think we have to truly sit down and examine. For example, I'll tell you, I grew up in a time when American aid used to come to us. One of my mentors was a USAID advisor. He worked very hard to send me to the University of Chicago, and that's why I'm here. And I'm forever grateful to him. Hey, why can't we send professors to universities here as they used to come? Why can't professors come here anymore? Why can't you pay them enough to come here? Why can't, as I said, we give these kids globalization? Because my view is it's globalization and knowledge that is going to 
these kids are hungry just like anybody else in the world. They're not different from anybody else in the world. Nadine, the morning after we met you, mm. we were carpooling, so to speak, mm. in a bulletproof American <laughs> SUV with a young American USAID worker from Washington. Mm. Nice to meet you, he said. What's going on? She said, I'm out here to find out what the message is. I first thought, well, don't you know what the message is? And she said, it's hard to know what's going on because we can't go anywhere or see anything for security reasons. Pakistan security, American security. My impression is that the Americans here have zoned themselves out of the picture. I think that's a very good way to put it. I keep telling many American ambassadors that perhaps for training they should watch two movies. One is Lawrence of Arabia. Hmm. Lawrence could not have changed the minds of the Arabs if he had chosen to put himself in that big bulletproof car. He had to take a personal risk. Bulletproof camel, maybe. Bulletproof camel. He had to take a personal Plus, he had to get to know the people. Secondly, if you remember, he had to cross the desert of Aqaba to show them that he was equally capable. These guys came here at a very young age. They lived here. They learnt about the society. They became a part of the society and they changed us. Unfortunately, I keep saying this, the US seems to lack that kind of an adventuring intellectual. Hmm. These are paid civil servants. Many of them don't even use our toilet paper, as I tell them. They don't even talk to us. So obviously they don't know enough about the society. Come on, guys, if you want to rule the world, change this, somebody has to take the risk. You remind me by surprise of John Walker Lind. Do you remember him? An American adventurer who dressed like the natives, he learned the language, and he is still doing time for being anywhere near the Taliban. I don't, well, know, anyway. I don't know him, yeah. But I mean, the other guy that I can think of is discredited now, unfortunately. But I think he did some good, is the guy with the three cups of tea. He did come here, he may have exaggerated, but he did do some things that have made him an icon in this part of the world. What's your other movie? <clears throat> the other movie is Tea House of the August Moon. It's a movie where the U.S. Marines, according to the code book, had to make a school. And the Japanese uh, didn't want to make a school. They wanted a tea house because to them community was more important than schooling. That's where they took their decisions. That's where they made their society. And eventually they got the tea house. It's a comedy with Marlon Brando and Jack Lemmon, but it's a wonderful message. You cannot reshape society without understanding that society. And it's a tough journey. It's not an easy journey. We need the Lawrence of Arabias. We need... Who's that guy who made the Mexipark wheat? That famous Norman Borlaug. We need guys like that. The Green we Revolution need. is one thing. Lawrence of Arabia is another. Do the Arabs want Lawrence again? Does Pakistan... Does Pakistan want... There will never be another Lawrence. I'm not saying a Lawrence. I'm saying a risk-taking guy who can come here, for example, teach at university here. Yes. For example, do something here that's going to inspire the people and show them that you care. Simple. It's the kind of work that has been done through the ages by many people. Good, bad, you know, whatever. But that's the way history moves. You know, we met this wonderful Cindy-speaking, hmm. Indian-born, New York-educated, Caribbean-trained medical doctor, young woman in her 20s. And she's night and day working in tent cities in the flood-stricken areas in yeah. Pakistan to this day. 
and she was extraordinary, not least about the, the visa difficulties she has and the bureaucratic problems of doing simple human service uh, in this situation. Um, what in the world is keeping teachers of all persuasions, from the NATO countries, from, from the U.S., uh, from opening up shop here, under Pakistani direction even? Very simple. If USAID, for example, instead of giving $100 million to a firm that you know, which will keep 75 and probably spend 20 here, right, and waste another 10 or something, why can't we get 100 professors from around the world and just give them even two, three hundred thousand dollars a year? We can make this program last for 10 years on $100 million. I'm just doing quick sums. But the point is, if you empower them to come here and you select the right people who will be entrepreneurial in what they're doing, and you let them have the power to do it, what happens is we have a project. There's a project supervisor, there's a project evaluator, there's a project, you know, whatever. We have these guys who are um, over-determining the project, really not empowering the person who's doing it, too much bureaucracy, the whole project go, gets lost. We have to go back to the whole Norman Borlaug concept or the Lawrence of Arabia concept. Guys, there are some people who are motivated, who are committed to do something. You know, let empower those people, let them go on. I lived 30 years in Washington. I had a very nice career. I gave up, gave it up. I'm here at my own cost doing what I'm doing because I want to do it. But hey, I'm going to lose heart very soon and go back because there's nobody who's ready to support people like that. In fact, there are too many roadblocks in the path of people who support that because the money is working against us. So, I mean, you know, these things have to be thought through. It can be done, but the direction has to be very clear. The analysis has to be very clear. First of all, anal analysis has, get, has to get beyond drones and fundamentalism, this, that, etc. You know, that's a fringe society. That's a fringe part of society which is taking place. Mainstream society is the same as the U.S., is the same anywhere in the world. They want the same things as you and I do. Nadim Alhaq, hmm. thank you. We're going to begin by joining your campaign for public radio, C-SPAN, and open USAID libraries in Pakistan. And let's see where we go from there. Thank you very much. It's a great much. pleasure to see you in Pakistan. Thank you very much. Ben Mandelkern produced and Henry Peck edited this conversation in Lahore with the economist Nadim Ul-Haq. Our series, Another Pakistan, is a co-production of the Watson Institute and the Asia Society. Zarmine Ansari is our producer in Pakistan. Thanks also to Bina Sarwar of the Jung Media Group. The conversations continue from South Asia and also online. Listeners, please feedback your views, your Pakistan, with a comment on our website, radioopensource.org. I'm Christopher Leiden. Thank you for being part of the Open Source Conversation. <laughs>